You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and also joining us in this first segment today, we got Jacob Hillman on the line with us as well. Once again, the number to call 334-321-1390. That's how you can call in and join the show. Find Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. Once again, we want to hear from you. Phone lines are open. Going to open up the show today talking some Auburn baseball with these fellows. 33-0, to zero, I'll be real. That's just not something you think you'll ever see in your life. Of course, when you play the odds, you expect that that would happen at some point. But 33-0? to zero? Well, Auburn scored 32 runs in 1994 against Troy. That was a previous record. I don't know if that game was 32 nothing. I doubt it was. But, yeah, 33 nothing is not something you expect, even after an 18-2 drubbing in seven innings on Tuesday night. I mean, the offense looked good. Of course, you can't take much from it. Alabama and was throwing 64 miles per hour at some times for breaking balls. So, it's, it's one of those things where it's good that they did it, but I'm not taking too much away from it. Yeah, that score was 32 to 9 back yeah. in 1994. I'm still concerned about this Auburn baseball team's ability to hit. I mean, we said it what? all last week. I'm I'm still <laughs> concerned. I'm not sold. I mean, get it up to 50 and I'll be satisfied. But in all in all seriousness, you're playing Alabama A&M. We said it we said in this midweek we wanted to see if this team could come out and hit. It doesn't get much better than the past two games. I mean, they showed that they have the ability to hit. And as someone else noted, what did they score? Fifty-one runs. I think they outscored them. Yeah, fifty-one to goodness. two. Yes, I mean, that, like that's as good as you can get. Yes, you're playing in fear competition, but this is what like you could not be happier going into the Round Rock Classic. If your concern was can this team hit, and then they hit like this, you, I mean, you're going in well. And as you noted. They're the only team going in with a winning record. Ah, oh, you stole my thunder. I was about to say that. <laughs> I was leading, I was leading you into it. I wanted you to get all the glory. I was. It's called leading you in for it. I'm letting you get <laughs> it going. You're my wingman, right? Yeah, I'm, th- I'm throwing up the lob, and you're about to slam it home with the oop. Yes, Auburn is the only team going into the Round Rock Classic with a winning record. Believe it or not, Oklahoma 2-2, two and two, Texas A&M 2-3. They're the most bewildering when you look at some of their losses. They've lost to some bad teams. I mean, that was kind of all across college baseball, you would think. Well, tell me, what happened across college baseball well, over the, the past weekend? Number one, two, and three teams all lost their series depending on what the good teams, at. though. Florida lost to Miami. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of them. But it, it's still not something you expect coming into the season. LSU lost a game. It, it's just... Lost a game. They didn't get beat in a series, though. A&M got beat yeah. by Xavier. Yeah, you're right. But you don't expect Xavier to come down and steal a series from an SEC team. Right. And I, I really think that Going into this Round Rock Classic, there's not much you should expect. Auburn should have swept Presbyterian. Auburn should have beat Alabama A&M easily. So don't go in thinking, oh, Auburn should sweep this easily. Go in, grab at least one, 
and get out of there. I think now the expectation for me has moved a little bit. It should should be be two. two. Baylor's one and two as well. They haven't played any midweek games this week, so they're coming in a little rusty as well. At least Auburn's gotten some midweek action as well as the other two teams in Oklahoma and A&M. Even though it hasn't gone their way, those teams have lost in the midweek. Auburn has been the one absolutely catapulting its competition into the stratosphere with 51 to 2 as we've already pointed out Baylor's entering one and two I think they lost to uh UT Rio Grande or uh, I think that's who they lost to and so but still it's not like made something up I feel like like that's a made-up college it's one of the it's the one of it's one of 20 Texas schools right it's it's one of a million (laughs) Texas schools that start UT and then you just add on UTEP right UT ER, whatever you want to call it. UTSA. All yeah, UTSA. There's a million of those out there. Yeah, it's one of the 20, a part of the Texas school system. Not Texas Tech or not Texas A&M, but a part of the Texas Longhorn school system that trickles down, and there's tons of them. But I think that is who they, I think that's who they lost to. In the And I'll go back and I'll check that. It's one of them, though. And it's not like Auburn has played worse competition than these teams and has just swept all the way to 5-0 and going into this and they haven't been tested yet I mean Auburn really hasn't been tested yet but these teams are all in the same boat I feel like the best competition that we've seen from this group here Oklahoma played Omaha they yeah. uh, I believe split with them one and one there against Omaha Omaha's a NCAA tournament team traditionally I feel like for some reason that portion of the country is pretty good at baseball yeah but, but then again you'd expect that with where the college baseball world series is played at in omaha but nonetheless oklahoma played omaha abilene christian occasionally is okay what about stephen f austin that was another team on oklahoma schedule they're pretty decent True. they lost to stephen f austin oklahoma has fared be- has fared better than the other two teams had i i am not that impressed with what a&m at baylor has done through their first you know through their first weekend and their week and a half a&m has really thrown me off completely with some of the teams they've lost to even their wins haven't looked that great no they had a battle back in one of the games and then they lost another game this week of course Xavier's a team that Auburn plays in two weeks when they return home after the Round Rock Classic they lost the first two games of that series six ten to six on Friday and then two nothing on Saturday then they won 15 nothing on Sunday and they might have gotten a talking to but they but then, had to go to 10 innings with Tarleton State. Yep. Who even is that? I mean, I've heard of them, but hey, still. I, I've heard of them because they beat New Mexico State by 40 yep. in football this weekend. That was the only reason <laughs> I'd heard of them, too. Yeah. I was about to say that. That's the only reason I've heard of them. Well, there, there's an Opelika quarterback that went to go and play at Tarleton State for yeah, football. So that's why I've heard of them. But then they lost to Abilene Christian 5-6. to six. A&M has been super un, uh, you know, unimpressive at this point. Auburn's going into this series right now. they got to be feeling themselves at the moment. I mean, yeah, even like individual players, Bryson Ware, Brody Moore. That's one guy that I'll say, if I take anything away from the two games against Alabama, Brody Moore did a good job of hitting the baseball, especially last night. Four for six with seven RBIs. That's the most RBIs by an Auburn player since 2010. That's a a lot of RBIs. So he's the one guy that I see, especially if Ryan Bliss is still dealing with that hamstring, you can plug him in at shortstop easily and continue the bats rolling. So... That's kind of where I'm at is what's the lineup going to look like? And injuries can be a concern. This is an observation. This is nothing. I don't know why Josh Hall got pulled yesterday, but I noticed being at the game, between every inning, he was walking up and down the left field line, walking. So I'm making an observation. I have no idea if he's injured, pulled something, but that's just an observation I made. He went on a tear in the first weekend. If he's not able to play this weekend, then – I think you got Stephen Williams in right field, Bryson Ware at first, Nate LaRue at catcher, something like that. 
But, but what you're telling me right now is they've got a lot of quality depth. Easily. That I don't know. scare me whatsoever. I mean, of course, we'd love to see Josh Hall out there, but it's not like... I don't feel like Auburn's losing a ton at the plate just because one guy goes out of no, the lineup occasionally. Especially when, I mean, in right field, you got three guys. Hall, Williams, and Bryson Ware that can all play out there. Shortstop, you've got Moore, Bliss, Farquhar. Second base, you got Farquhar, Moore, Cole Foster, I think, can move over there if he if they really want to get him some playing time. First base, there's a lot of guys that can play there. So it's, like you said, a lot of depth, and that's all that matters. I'm interested to know why Rankin Woolley didn't play on Tuesday and Wednesday. I know he had a really bad series this past weekend, but I thought maybe you'd want to try to get him in a groove, but maybe he wanted rest, and maybe that's what he wanted. That is concerning, though. I mean, if he didn't play well this weekend, didn't play during the week, I just assume that it's probably maybe like some nagging or maybe he just needed a little bit of rest. That's you know just kind of going off of an assumption because, like you said, you would think you want to get him going if he's in a bit of a slump. Right, and I... I wouldn't say it's necessarily rest because it's only been one weekend, but maybe just a, just a, all right, you need to think, get get this out of your head, whatever it is, because you got options at third base too, Tyler Miller, and it's just it's one of those things. Bryson Ware can play third base as well. He can play literally everywhere, I think. So I really, that's the one thing in my mind that just keeps staying there that I'm concerned about is Rankin Woolley and third base really even though you've got the depth to back him up, you want to see him play well because he can be the best player on this baseball team. Fun fact, not only does Texas A&M have a losing record, they also are being out-hit by their opponents at the moment, which would make sense when you're talking about having a losing record, you're two and three, but what I mean by they're being out-hit at the moment is opponents have a higher batting average than Texas A&M in terms of team batting average. A&M is batting 243 right now. Opponents batting 244. <laughs> that that's not what you expect at this point of the year especially with some of the competition that texas a&m has played up to this point um like i said i'm largely unimpressed with what all of these teams have done up to this point when i first was researching this i was like all right what are the other teams doing right now i say oklahoma went two and two and i was like okay well let's see what let's see what texas a&m's doing and that's all what a&m was doing i was like wait a minute two and three and then i looked over at baylor i was like oh th- this thing there's only one team with a winning record at the moment and auburn they're all playing similar competition. I think Oklahoma's played the best competition up to this point, but they're still two and two. And you would expect if you were as good of a team as we all thought these teams would be going into this round rock classic, we would be expecting much better records at this point. And all of them probably should have winning records at this point. I think they're all probably not happy with where they're at at the moment going into this series. This is a get right series for every single one of these teams, except for Auburn. Yeah, I agree with that. Because, I mean, well, especially Auburn, the way the schedule goes. you got Oklahoma Friday, Baylor Saturday, and Texas A&M on Sunday. It's going to be interesting against Texas A&M. Because on Sunday, you've got Mason Barnett, who did well on Sunday. But you're still definitely working him in to that starting role that he didn't expect to be in this year. He probably didn't expect to be in it until maybe his senior year, if he made it to his senior year, because he's a very talented prospect. So, I... I'm interested to see how they do against Texas A&M, even though Texas A&M has looked the worst. Baylor at 1-2, and two, looking at who they lost to, I was right. It was UT Rio Grande Valley. <laughs> I, or is it Grande? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's the Rio Grande. Okay, Rio, Rio Grande, Grande Valley. Valley. All right, Th- this is what the pitching did over the weekend. Give up seven runs on Friday night, nine runs on Sunday, and then on, or excuse me, 
they played two games on Sunday and then one game on Monday. My bad. They they had some games shifted. But their season opener, they, they give up seven. They win that ball game 12 to seven. They then lose eight to nine on Sunday afternoon. And then on Monday, they lose four to seven. That's where a problem pitching was. Yeah. Pitching and defense. Yeah. And I, I really. It'll be interesting because of... Now, there's we, some extenuating we, we, circumstances in that portion of the country, which all of those teams are from that portion of the country, and they've been dealing with some stuff. True. So maybe that is part that of is the true. reason that, why there's a slow start. Yeah, I wasn't even considering that. That is something that probably Still, they got out there them. to go and play some baseball, though. I mean, that's the only fortunate thing about yeah. that, but that that is a good point. I even think about that, to be honest, and I really think that it's possible one of these teams comes out and really shows out, but I'm not sure. Like you said, I think the expectation should be Auburn goes in and wins two out of three. If they win one, oh well, but do not get swept. It's funny how our opinion of this Round Rock Classic has completely changed though shifted. over a two-day period. So much it shifted so much. I from went into now. it before any of those teams had played this past weekend: Oklahoma, Baylor, Texas A&M, and I was like, "All right, if this Auburn team wins one game this weekend, I'll be satisfied." Because at least that's a baseline that they can work to improve off of. I don't think it's out of the question for Auburn to go out there and win all of the games. No, it's not out of the question. That's for not that the to expectation, I but think, I don't think it's out of the question. I'm agree. I'm gonna agree with Jacob. I think two is your expectation. I think one, you're a little disappointed, but you accept that and you're like, you know what? Okay, absolutely, don't get swept. Swept is the, the one that's gonna like really hurt you. But if you come out and you know you sweep them, if you come out and win all three games, which I think is very possible for this team then you're really, really looking good, and you got a lot of confidence to build off of in this season. Well, another thing is Auburn, Texas A&M need to make the SEC proud after what Ole Miss, yep. Mississippi State, and Arkansas did in the State Farm College Baseball Classic, whatever it was, in Arlington. They dominated. They lost yep. one game. I forget who it was. A so, reminder to everybody, Ole Miss is the first SEC opponent for Auburn. They are, and they are ranked number one in some polls. Yep. They probably will slide up there and take hold of it. 19 consecutive. I think it might be 21 now if they play midweeks, but 19 consecutive wins. That's nuts. Look at Oklahoma's schedule. They lost to Omaha in their season opener on Sunday, 3 6. Monday of this week, they beat Omaha 8 5. Then on Tuesday, they played Stephen F. Austin, lost to them 5 9. And then UT Arlington, they beat 7 1 yesterday so Oklahoma sitting at two and two I definitely think they are appearing right now schedule wise to be the most substantial opposition of the group that Auburn will be playing based off of who they've played those are some decent teams or at least decent programs traditionally I don't know what Omaha and Stephen F. Austin are looking like this year but their NCAA tournament teams oftentimes when it comes down to baseball Auburn and Oklahoma will lead off the Round Rock Classic February 26th that's this Friday that's tomorrow at noon on Saturday, uh, Auburn will take on Baylor. And then on Sunday, Auburn will take on Texas A&M. The Saturday game for Auburn against Baylor at noon. And then the Sunday game against Texas A&M, I believe, is at 11 a.m. I yeah. think I'm correct on that one. And so it's going to be a fun weekend for Auburn baseball and a chance for them to make some real noise. I'm hoping those bats are popping off. I'm hoping they go out there at pitchers. I mean, this could be a huge – Auburn can go and set off college baseball with a boom – in the Round Rock Classic, because eyes are going to be on that. Oh, this is a big preseason tournament. Tip- typically, eyes are going to be on this location in college baseball across the weekend. And speaking of location, one final note: this is the first time since the College World Series that Auburn will be playing a baseball game away from Auburn. 
Really? Yes. I didn't think about that. That that feels like lifetimes ago. <laughs> it does. And it's the first time it's happened. So how do they handle that? It seems like oh, we're learning something new every weekend about this Auburn baseball team. It, it's going to be interesting. I'm ready for it. Unfortunately, it's on Flow Sports League to pay for it, but whatever. Jacob, question to you then. Okay. Before we let you get out of here, you're you are the baseball guru, the baseball psychopath. Just stay for all 33 runs yesterday. Yes, yes, I did. But that's, that's excellent. It doesn't compare to when I stayed for the entirety of the 18 inning Mississippi State LSU game during the SEC tournament two years ago. During that, I was at the Hoover Mat till 3 a.m. And you don't even care about those two teams. You were just there to enjoy some baseball. I mean, it was an incredible baseball game. Of course, I was there for the baseball. I, yeah, it was two great teams. So, of course, I, I think that was uh, that was Jake Mangum's last year. Of course, I saw him in Omaha few weeks later but i thought that might have been the last time i saw him play so jacob tell everybody where they can find you on twitter follow me on twitter at jacob underscore hillman three try to post good tweets sometimes i post bad tweets though <laughs> i think it's all I, good i think you're a pretty you're a pretty funny follow you have to sell yourself to the people nothing you just but tell fire people, right nothing nothing but fire I, give, I, give the, I give the negative you've though. got the basketball and the baseball content right now and then when football season rolls around you'll be back on that front but once again find jacob on twitter at jacob underscore hillman three we'll be back talking some auburn football on the other side of this break here on on the line Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Find Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. Phone lines are open. Call in at 334-321-1390. Once again, the number to call, 334-321-1390. Great discussion there with Jacob Hillman, big-time baseball guy. He's at every single baseball game at Plainsman Park. He's always there. And he was there for all 33 runs yesterday. If you missed any of that conversation, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We'll continue to talk about baseball later on in the show. We're going to move away from it for a little bit here. Talk some Auburn football with you. Bo Nix, for some reason, has been a major topic of conversation in the last week, week and a half. And hopefully it's starting to peter out a little bit. But is this just noise or is there actually smoke? about this whole thing about Bo Nix possibly not being a starting quarterback next year at Auburn because I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I think it's all smoke. I don't think there's a chance that he doesn't Well, I meant smoke as in if there's smoke, there's fire. So is this just random noise? I meant smoke as in like smoke and mirrors. I don't think any of that. This isn't real. Yeah. Just Just vapor. I got you. Yeah, I don't think think there's any validity. Again, hold 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 a chance to be wrong. If we come out and Demetrius Davis is starting, that's probably what's I don't best think it's about program. Demetrius Davis. I think it's about Auburn trying to go out and find another quarterback, possibly in the transfer portal. I mean, you saw if what? it's not him, I don't see another guy on this roster. Yeah, and I don't, I don't really see any guys in the transfer portal. I think Tyler Shuck probably had the best ability to come in and transfer in and play. And that's really where a lot of these conversations began about, oh, could he be coming to Auburn? And that's because people love to fall in love with something shiny on social media. I get it. But Shuck, as a quarterback at Oregon, was no more impressive than Bo, than Bo Nix at Auburn, and he lost worse games than Bo Nix was. Bo Nix, the worst game that he ever lost at Auburn was South Carolina. Uh, 100%. And other than that, he lost to teams that were typically ranked higher than Auburn. That were tip- that are typically contending for not just SEC championships, but uh, they were in the national conversation most of the time. You think Florida, Alabama, Georgia, you know some of those names, Texas A&M, 
finished fifth last year as well. As a starter this year at Oregon, Shuck went four and three. Lost to teams like Oregon State. Can't but, do that. But you know what he has? Conference championship ring. Unfortunately, but that was because Washington <laughs> couldn't play in the title game because just, of COVID-related issues. And they said, well, the show must go on. And they put Oregon in, and Oregon was a 500 team in the Pac-12 title game this year. And that's how they ended up in the Fiesta Bowl to get bumped by Iowa State. Oregon made the Pac-12 title game this year because the Pac-12 opted not to play football the first half of the year. Yeah. That was the Pac-12's fault that yeah. they ended up with a 500 team in the Pac-12 championship. It's the Pac-12's fault that Washington couldn't play for the Pac-12 title game this year, even though they deserved it in terms of wins and losses. So, and USC fumbling that away in the Pac-12 title game, the fact that they were by far, on paper, the better team, all comes down to the ineptitude of that USC program over the last couple of years under the tutelage of Clay Helton. And to go off that Bo Nix conversation, if you really want to, if you're one of those people who are just absolutely clamoring for Auburn to go out and get someone in the transfer portal, Head on over to 24-7 Sports. Go look at the transfer portal. Joe Milton might be the best quarterback out there. But is he definitively better no. than Bone? There's not a guy. You, you can argue. Michigan loses games every Look at what Michigan did this year. Michigan was horrible this you, year. You can look. It, I would understand if you could look out there and there was a guy that you looked at and said, this guy is definitively better than Bo Nix. There's just not a guy out there in that transfer portal. And, there's and not on a, the roster, there's not they a guy. would have already been playing if they were better than Bo Nix. I think... I don't know. Maybe the previous coaching staff had some super allegiance to some of those players, but I and still feel like did. the coaching staff was going to play the best guy on the roster. I, I, I just think that that's a given amongst coaching staffs across college football. You're going. Of in. course, there are exceptions to the rule, but most coaches are going to play the best guy in their quarterback room. Gus Malzahn was going into the year on a hot seat, and throughout the year was on a hot seat. Do you really think that he was going to risk losing his job just to start a guy no. at quarterback? Also, think Bonex is the best guy in the armor quarterback room right now. I agree with that too. And that's not and we could be wrong and Demetrius Davis could be that guy. He's young. We haven't seen it yet. He could be. We have I don't think we're wrong. I, I think he's a I freshman and all of the things agreed. that Bo Nix went through as a freshman, he would go through as a freshman because uh, yeah, most freshmen agreed. go through that. I a hundred percent agree. I'm just saying that we we could be wrong. We've seen freshmen come in the sport and dominant you know be very good at the quarterback position, but most of the time they aren't true freshmen they're redshirt freshmen they were on the team for a year and got to see in development that's true you got to remember that when you're looking at some of those guys who you remember and if they are a true freshman that came in and dominated the game they were probably a five-star which a five-star is an indicator that they're ready to go right away you You see that a lot of times Bo Nix was four-star slash five-star regardless of what the recruiting rankings say you know looking back I think I'm more on the side of the the sites that said he was a four-star rather than a five-star but he was ready to go as a freshman. I think Bo Nix, comparatively speaking, performed as a freshman above what you would think a typical freshman would do. He did, yeah. He, he won nine games. He tip. He wasn't as bad as you as a lot of people want to make him out to be that freshman year. Now, granted, this year didn't look that great at times, but you got to remember this kid is still talented. This kid has mo- he has mobility in the pocket. He can escape the pocket sometimes a little too much. But is that him? Is that the line? Is that a combination of both where he's seeing phantom pressure from the all the pressure that he has been getting? It's just a he's he hasn't been in a great situation to really see what he's done. At least or you could last year was just a bad situation for him in terms of just all around the Auburn program, it just kind of started spiraling at some point and it never really 
got that much better. I mean, you saw what happened in the Iron Bowl. People are going to remember that. You saw what happened to Georgia on the national stage. That morning game against South Carolina comes to mind as well. It just never really got right for him last year, and you could call it a sophomore slump. Maybe this is what Bo Nix actually is. I think you got to give him a year with Mike Bobo and Brian Harson and see what he's got. I think I think he's going to surprise a lot of Auburn fans who are Bo Nix haters this year. We'll get to a skill set later. I, I don't even want to talk about football-related things on this front, or at least in-game things on this front. I'll be honest, I think if he had a different last name, it would have done him a little bit better in terms of the expectations coming to Auburn. Bo Nix was given these expectations from the start. His coaching staff did not do him any favors when they said that he was going to win a national championship or he was going to have a chance to win a national championship before he left the Plants. I mean, he's probably... it's it's a, That's I'm, not helpful whatsoever. No, you, Gus you Malzahn co- put this guy right out the gates with some major expectations to open this thing up. They made some major expectations for him when they were talking about him possibly being in the Heisman and being a you know a national championship picture quarterback. They did not do him any favors from the get-go because that's what people – just the hype train rolled out of the station when this guy announced his commitment to Auburn because they're like, oh, Auburn legacy. And then, of course, his last name and everything. I mean, it just – that – took this thing to another level for people's expectations for him if he had a less interesting last name I think people's perception and people won't admit this the Bonex haters will not admit this your perception of him so far through these first two years there will be a lot more people sympathetic to the quarterback than they are right now agreed I mean because you wouldn't you would understand the circumstance that there's nobody else around him to help the Bonex haters the greatest crutch they have is they think he's starting because of his father. They think he is he's starting because of daddy. He's starting because he's a legacy. That's their greatest crush. That goes out crush. the window. If you, if you just remove that from the conversation, you go, you know what? It really wasn't that bad. It's just the hype. He hasn't lived up to the hype train that happened. And that's one. Oh man, that Auburn fans love to do that with quarterbacks. They've done it. I mean, remember Jeremy Johnson was coming in as a Heisman favorite. I mean, that's. And maybe it's not just Auburn. Maybe it's some of the media it's members everywhere. as well. It's, it that happens all over the country. It's everywhere. We just see it more because we're so close to the program you know just from being local and growing up here going to school at Auburn you know you and I we see that we see what they do we see what happens every year we have the new shiny thing that comes in and it's going to be the savior it's going to be the next Cam Newton it's going to be a Heisman winner or a national championship winner so maybe the expectations were unfair from the get-go for the true freshman quarterback I mean it seems like that it does seem and once again the coaching staff did not do him any favors because they're the ones who made it worse? And you want to rub someone the wrong way? Bo Nix is probably going to leave as the most prolific passer at Auburn if he stays his <laughs> whole time, just because of how 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 long he's going to be playing. I think he's got two more years. Yeah, I do. I think I think he'll go through that senior season. On the other side of this break, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us on the line. Stay with us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Garner and Levi Fitzwater with you in the studio. Joining us on the line now, as promised, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us on the show today. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing all right. How are y'all? We are doing excellent. And let's start off talking about some Auburn basketball here. It's been a brutal, it's been a brutal stretch for Auburn. One and six over their last seven games. 
and now they lose Sharif Cooper. We don't know for how long, but do you have uh, do you have any information on the latest there, or is it still just kind of a day to day thing with Sharif Cooper? Yeah, very much still a day to day thing. He's going to try to come back by the end of the season. We'll see if Auburn's playing two more games or three more games, um, you know, left this year. But you know, it's really unfortunate for Auburn to you know have this happened to him the way they did because, I mean, anybody who watched them in the first half against Florida on Tuesday night knows that you don't have that point guard in this offense. They just have a hard time getting anything done on offense. So, I mean, it, it, they're going to try to get him back. Uh, they don't want to rush him. Bruce Pearl said, you know, has said, you know, they're not going to not force him back by any means. Uh, but he, he is going to try to uh, play again before the end of the year. I think it's just going to be a matter of, you know, how that ankle feels and how much time he does have left, uh, considering we don't know if Auburn will make up that Mississippi State game next Saturday or not. I mentioned one one and six over their last seven games, and of course, everyone's aware of all of the circumstances surrounding this year's basketball season. Not only do you you know you don't have two of your best players on the court at any point this season at the same time in, in terms of uh, Justin Powell, and then also uh, Sharif Cooper and, and Auburn's you know been without ball handlers for long stretches this season. On top of that, you're still dealing with the COVID nineteen pandemic. The team's young. The list goes on and on. For circumstances with this Auburn basketball team but is it still fair to say that this Auburn basketball team underachieved over the last seven eight games of this season yeah I mean I think I think they could you know you could say that they could have been playing better down this stretch and with Sharif you know they were you know they were a better team you know kind of earlier on after Sharif came back they were winning some games and the, and the schedule got tougher I mean, but there were there were a couple of games like you don't lose to Ole Miss and Georgia um, you know, at home, if you're not doing something, <laughs> something wrong, and in this case, it's been defense. And we know a lot of Auburn's defensive problems this season is due to youth. But you know, you haven't really seen them take that step forward throughout the season. They kind of just been the same way throughout the year on defense. So I think, I think that's the area where it's it's gotten real disappointing for Auburn is that you know they haven't seen, shown a lot of defensive growth from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And I mean, that's that's the thing that's really holding them back is when they have Sharif Cooper out there. Team scores about eighty points a game, uh, plays at a fast pace. It's just they, they they've just had a hard time slowing down teams, and uh, that's been their big Achilles heel this season. So how can they turn it around at the end of the year? And you can play hypothetical if Sharif Cooper comes back, and if or if he doesn't come back, you can give either one however you're feeling. I know you said you think he's coming back, but what does the team have to do to kind of right this ship and salvage the season? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where. You know, you've got to show some 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 growth on the defensive end. Uh, you're going to play a team in Tennessee on on Saturday that's not a particularly high scoring team. They've had their offensive weaknesses this season. Um, they're an awesome defensive team, one of the best in college basketball. So, I mean, if you can if you can play down the stretch and win kind of a grinded out game or two, you know, you feel like you you you're, you've got something to build off of moving forward. We'll see how they do against Alabama. You know, Alabama's not unbeatable. Uh, if you have Sharif Cooper, you already know that you can hang with them, uh, you know, for real. Uh, and then, you know, if they play Mississippi State next Saturday at home and they get that game made up, that's a good chance for them to end on a high note. So I think it's just a matter of, you know, can this team put together 40 minutes of, you know, consistent defensive basketball and just make the best of what's going on on the offense side. Nobody's going to expect them to light it up without a true point guard. Uh, no one's going to expect them to be a really high-scoring team without a true point guard. Uh, but they can they can still find a way to grind out some wins or you know at least some better performances these last couple of games. Um, you know we, we, they've just got to do a better job on that end of the floor. You mentioned defense here, and 
there's a lot of ways that people have been spinning Auburn's defensive letdowns this season it's you know a lot of it Bruce Pearl even most recently talking about their want to you know their effort after that LSU game and getting 104 points hung on them Bruce Pearl mentions effort a lot of people have mentioned effort at times other people have said youth but is it more of those two things or is it or is this something that maybe isn't fixable maybe these guys just aren't good at defense is that a possibility I think it's youth. I think they got to learn how to play together because they've got a lot of potential defensively. This is a long team. This is a very athletic team. It's just going to be a matter of just learning. I mean, so much of college ball compared to high school ball is, you know, recognizing uh, opponent sets, um, you know, communication, um, you know, switching up defenses. A lot of times in high school, these guys are really talented and really athletic and they can get away, you know, not maybe playing the most fundamentally sound defense in the world because they can make up for it with their athletic gifts. You can't do that in college basketball. And this young team does not really have a, a defensive leader. It's got a builder. And, you know, Isaac Okoro, one of the best defensive players in college basketball last season, but he also had a framework around him of experienced guys that can play defense. Auburn just doesn't really have that right now. You know, they don't have a defensive stopper um, at a really high level. Flanagan has that potential. But, you know, the, the, the pieces around them, they're all trying to learn how to play, play next to each other. So I think a lot of it is youth. And yeah, the effort switches off and on because that's part of, you know, kind of being a young team. I think it's just not, um, you know, not playing the full forty minutes, not not knowing, um, you know, that you can't take, you know, take, take some possessions off or stretches off. And I think with the LSU game, it was just this team was kind of morally had kind of gotten, you know, just beaten down emotionally, I should say, um, and you know, didn't really have much fight left in them. You saw saw more of that fight in the second half against Florida. They got to play that way all forty against against Tennessee to have a chance. So we'll see. I just think I think youth is going. You know, once this group kind of gets some more, um, you know, just some more time together, they should get better on the defensive end. Uh, but yeah, this year I think has been very disappointing uh, for Auburn on that end of the floor. Still talking some basketball here with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. I'm not sure if you've seen this, but a couple hours ago, about two hours ago, South Carolina men's basketball program they were put on probation by the NCAA for their uh for their assistant coach Lamont Evans who was a part of that uh corruption scandal in college basketball what seems like an eternity ago but the situation wrapping up in South Carolina they're put on a two-year probation but they dodge some major penalty bullets because the NCAA is basically accepting South Carolina's uh they're they're accepting South Carolina's self-imposed penalties which did not include a postseason ban and the South Carolina basketball team basically just under the watchful eye of the NCAA for the next two years. But, you know, kind of transferring this maybe a little bit over to transferring this over a little bit to Auburn, what, what could this mean for the Tigers moving forward? Um, you know, because Lamont Evans was a major name in this in this investigation, same as Chuck Person. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good sign for Auburn moving forward. I think when you go through your own postseason ban and you're trying to get out in front of this thing. Um, you know, and seeing a team in South Carolina who had done some of the things themselves but didn't ban themselves from the postseason, you know, the the, the NCAA, uh, you know, like you said, uh, not not put, not dropping the hammer down on them like that. I think that's a good sign for Auburn moving forward. This is something that they felt like they needed to do. Um, I would not be surprised that if, you know, Auburn, you know, you know once this comes to an end, uh, if it does, Auburn getting a similar sort of punishment just because, you know, They've they've gone through kind of the due diligence of trying to stay out in front of it as well, but um, you know I think that is a positive sign for Auburn that if South Carolina can get out of this without 
you know, getting really two big of penalties. Uh, I think, you know, the same should kind of go for Auburn, and it kind of fits what we've been hearing recently about how this situation is probably going to wrap itself up by the NCAA. Auburn football talk now. Holden Gariner, or Holden Gariner, I'm not sure. Do you know the correct pronunciation on that? <laughs> I don't. I don't know off the top of my head. I, I want to say Gariner, but I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. Well, we'll go with Gariner as well then. Uh, Gariner earning his fourth star, 24-7 sports. Everybody that knows anything about recruiting has been saying that that'll eventually happen it's finally happened what do you think about the nature of Auburn's quarterback room moving forward because it seems like there's going to be some competition brewing in the future between quarterbacks that Gus Malzahn recruited versus quarterbacks that this new coaching staff has recruited and I'm not necessarily meaning about Bo Nix because I think Bo Nix's job is safe but what do you think about the future of this quarterback room for Auburn yeah, it's fascinating. I think you have to take a really good quarterback each year in recruiting. I think that's got to be your philosophy, um, and a lot of big-name programs do that, and I don't see Auburn going away from that. So even though you have a guy in Demetrius Davis coming in, you want to go ahead and get another big-name guy um, You know, in, in, in the 2022 class. I think Aaron fits that uh, mold as well. It's going to be a lot of competition. Um, I'm very interested to see how much you know Demetrius Davis could push a guy like Bo Nix this season, maybe just to, in, in terms of development, because I, I side with you, I think. I think Bo's job is safe at the moment. Um, but, yeah, in the future, I think it's just going to be an interesting competition with some of these younger guys uh, coming in here. But I think the philosophy is going to stay the same, um, you know, no matter who's the coach at Auburn. It's just that you want to bring in, you know, a blue-chip quarterback each year and know that, you know, that's going to lead to some attrition, that's going to lead to some transfers. Uh, but you'd rather have, um, you know, more good quarterbacks than less because, you know, it's such an important position on the field. And you want to be prepared in case somebody gets hurt. You want to be prepared, um, you know, in case something surprising happens with, you know, guys leaving. Um, so I think they're going to continue to kind of push like that. And I think Aaron fits a lot of uh, what, um, you know, we've seen from Brian Harson and Mike Bobo quarterbacks in the past. He seems to have a pretty good arm. Uh, guys thought he was kind of underrated when he first committed to Auburn. I think he'll continue to rise because he's been putting on putting on a show in some of these camps and, uh, and uh, combines that he's been playing in recently. Last question here for you, Justin. Vanderbilt running back Keon Henry Brooks, he's entered the transfer portal recently from the Commodores. No secret, Auburn's running back room was looking a little skimpy not that long ago. Of course, they've added two more bodies to it, but is this is this a possible link up here, considering Derek Mason now, obviously a defensive coordinator, but there is a connection there between him and the Vandy rusher. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Auburn went after him. I wouldn't be surprised if there is some contact, at least, that Auburn probably used one more running back in their system. You don't want to, you know, overload it a little too much, but yeah, between um, you know Tank Bigsby and Sean Shivers and Devin Barrett moving back to the position, and well, what you have is Jarquez Hunter coming in. You could probably use another one. Um, you know, kind of be be versatile and, and 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 get a guy with some SEC experience could also be helpful. So I wouldn't be surprised to see if Auburn just kind of put some feelers out. They're going they're going to be reaching out to I think a lot of guys here over the next couple of months. We already knew that Tyler Shuck was a, was was an option. Uh, he ends up going to Texas Tech, where I think he's got a much clearer chance of playing immediately. Um, so I think you're going to hear people link to him. Running back's one of those position groups where I don't think it's quite an overwhelming need uh, anymore as much as it is you know, maybe offensive line. Uh, but as we saw when they picked up Drayshon Miller um, earlier this week, you know, you can have a deep room, you can have an even talented room, and they're going to still want to add some quality players uh, to it. And I could, I could see them doing the same thing in running back, even though you pretty much know that in 2021 it's going to be Tank Bigsby's show and Sean Chivers uh, providing – that quality uh you know one two punch with him as well we saw tyler shuck 
linked to Auburn and, and media outlets all over the place. But do you think Auburn actually possibly went after him? Yeah, I th- uh, you know, they had contact. Uh, I do know that. They did have contact. I wanted to know how serious it was, how much of a how strong push that it was. I, I do I do wonder about that because you know, I think Chuck's going to go to Texas Tech and he's going to have a chance to start right away. Chuck comes to a place like Auburn, he's going to compete with a two-year starter in Bo Nix, and that's going to be tough to knock him off that off that perch. And guys who are going to transfer a quarterback, especially one like Chuck who is leaving a, a starting job at Oregon, you're going to want to play. You're going to want to start. Um, so it would have been interesting to see. You know, I get it from Auburn's perspective why they'd reach out to him. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, um, have some quality experience, depth at quarterback at the very least. Have some competition going. Uh, for Chuck's perspective, though, I think picking Auburn would have been a really interesting decision considering there are a number of schools that were looking for starters uh, that, that, that had openings. Justin, I appreciate you hopping on today with us. Tell everybody where they can find all of the great content you're putting out, my man. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com, $6 a month or $60 a year. You can check it out. Got a story up today on Dresha and Miller uh, that's free for all subscribe for all people you don't have to be a subscriber uh, just auburnobserver.com is where you can check that out and uh, yeah follow me on Twitter at DFergusonAU appreciate it my man I hope you have a good afternoon yeah thank you that was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here with us on the line we'll wrap up hour number one here on the other side of this break on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama You're on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama for On the Line. Noel Carter, Levi Fitzwater with you wrapping up our number one. And before we do, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Sitcom lineup on CBS with all new episodes of Young Sheldon, Be Positive, Mom, and the Unicorn beginning at 7. It's still the round of 32 also and BattleBots on Discovery at 7. Movie selection for tonight, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is on BBC at 7 as well. Thursday, college basketball begins on the West Coast with the top team of the country. Number one, Gonzaga hosting Santa Clara at 6 on CBS Sports Network. We've got a top 10 matchup in the Big Ten with number 9, Iowa at number three, Michigan on ESPN. On ESPN2, we've got number 12, Houston, at home against Western Kentucky on Big Ten Network. Number five, Illinois, hosts Nebraska at the 8 p.m. time slot. Number four, Ohio State, must go on the road at Michigan State on ESPN. On ESPN2, it doesn't get much easier for number 19, USC, as they're on the road against Colorado. NBA on TNT, starting with the Mavericks at the 76ers on at 6. At 8.30, the Pelicans and the Bucks square off. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Vanderbilt running back Keon Henry Brooks entering the transfer portal. We asked Justin Ferguson this in our conversation with him in our previous segment. If you missed that conversation or any of it, or if you ever missed the show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Once again, Vanderbilt running back Keon Henry Brooks entering the transfer portal. There's a little bit of a link there between him and defensive coordinator Derek Mason now, considering that's his former head coach. Do you think this is something Auburn could use? Like, is this a fit for Auburn? I mean, yes, in the sense of we just need some running backs. For, I mean, it's starting to get a little bit better now, as we've noted over the past few shows and whatnot. I mean, they've got a good group of guys back there now. The more the merrier, I would say. I mean, this guy's talented. I mean, I looked at a couple of his highlights. Forgive me. Didn't watch a lot of Vanderbilt football last year, so I kind of had to brush myself. You shouldn't have. I had to brush myself up on this young athlete and he looks good and honestly I mean if you want to have some guys who can make a difference back there he looks like a guy who has SEC experience he could come in and provide that because 
we don't know what we are getting out of Barnett. I mean, we said uh, we thought. Or, I mean, Barrett. Barrett. Yeah, I was thinking of I had baseball in the brain, I guess. So uh, yeah, there's more of that coming in the show. Yeah, you, I had, you I hold had, on to. I it. had baseball in the brain, but yeah, we don't know we're getting out of Barrett right now. Um, we think me and you are high on him. We think we're getting a lot, but you also don't know. So it's bring, been away from the position for like three years now. It could it could bust out. It could absolutely fall apart. We don't know what we're getting in Jarquez Hunter coming into the program. That probably could, not much. Probably not much. It's the beginning. fourth guy on that depth chart. So you could bring in a guy who has a little bit of ex- who has experience in the SEC. Could come in and make an impact. I I think it's a good move to go ahead and try to do it. I don't know where he fits into the room. That's the problem. Because you expect Shivers to not really see a huge dip in losses of carries. I, I'm I'm not I'm not sold I, I'm not sold yet on Shivers having a massive drop in carries. I think Tank Bigsby sees a little bit of an uptick in production, a little bit of an uptick in touches and carries because mainly He's going to be playing in more games. He's also going to be the starter for the entire season. It's not going to take him three games to figure out, oh, maybe we should be handing this guy the football. Maybe we should be tossing it to him out of the backfield. I think we see him more involved in the passing game. What I like about Keon Henry Brooks is what he does bring to the passing game, though. He had 28 catches last year for 9.2 yards per reception, 258 yards receiving last season. That's impressive to me. He even had a long of a reception of 48 yards. Not saying that they threw it to him 48 yards down the field, but he probably has the ability to do some things in space once he once he catches the ball out of the backfield. So that's intriguing to me because I love I love my running backs who can help me out in the passing game. That is such a I wouldn't say it's a must, but it definitely changes the dynamics. It changes the dimensions of your offense when your running back can catch the ball out of the backfield. Clyde, Clyde Edwards Alaire was so great at that at LSU. And it made their offense dynamic. I mean, you had to guard at, at sometimes. I mean, you had to guard five players on the field that could catch the football a lot of times when Joe Burrow was quarterback there. I mean, he could spread it to anybody on the field at any moment. They truly, you had to, you had to cover the entire field. Well, you were talking about LSU because of what they were able to do coming out of the backfield of running back. And I, I feel like that's a dimension that Auburn's offense hasn't completely explored over the years with Gus Malzahn. Now that's something. See, it's funny. Auburn always wanted to try and find a way to make receivers run the football. They never wanted to try and figure out how to get running backs to catch the football, which would have been more beneficial, I think. How many times? That's what, Yeah, I mean. <laughs> how many teams out there do you see actively trying to force receivers to run the football? You really don't. I mean, you just exactly. don't see it that much. They but did how the many exact times opposite. do you see the good teams actively trying to get their running backs to catch the football? All, all of the, the good, time. All of the good ones. All of the time. All of the good ones are out there trying to do that. I mean, exactly. think about the national champions this year. What does Alabama like to do with Najee Harris? Get him the ball any way they could. They got him the ball out in space. It wasn't just giving him the ball on handoffs, inside zones, or traps, or what have you. They were throwing it to him a lot out of the backfield. And Vanderbilt's had some good running backs over the years, so I'm not going to turn my nose at the fact no. that, this, that this guy's stats were 4.1 yards per carry this past season on a Vanderbilt team that went 0-9. and if You, you have four, to consider what type of offensive line he was running behind. I also think if you're getting 4.1 yard, yards per carry... That's still not that that's, good in that's, college, that's though. Not it, that, that's not bad considering who he was playing with behind what line. Exactly. That, that's what I was saying. Like 4.1 yep. yards on behind Vanderbilt's line that's that's good to that's good to me like I'm sitting there looking at that because I'm taking the whole picture in I'm not sitting there going oh 4.1 yards get out of here no Auburn that's not good but at Vanderbilt behind the line last year it probably would have been pretty good 
I don't know. I want my running backs at Auburn. No, I want no. I want them again. Averaging five a carry. Again, looking at the whole scope, the line wasn't great last year. You would be like, you know what? They did the best they could. But I agree with you. You want them getting five a carry. Four point one yards per carry last year for Keon Henry Brooks at Vanderbilt. Auburn could use the help, but uh, it's a crowded room right now, so I kind of wonder if this is even something that they'll pursue. But you should pursue returning for On the Line in hour number two. We'll be back in just a few moments on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You are On the Line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama. On 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on the line. Phone lines are open. Call in at 334-321-1390. Find Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. Big thank you to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us in hour number one. If you missed that or if you missed any of the show or if you ever miss a show, find the podcast wherever you get your podcast coming up in this hour we'll have jeremy law of radio alabama sports joining us he'll talk some alabama basketball with us there's a lot of alabama folks out there upset about what happened last night considering the free throw discrepancy which may have played a little bit of a part to it but i don't know if i'm giving total credence that alabama lost last night because of the major discrepancy in free throws what was it like 43 attempts to eight that's egregious that's pretty bad I'm trying to look it up right now to get the exact number. I think it was 43 to 8. That, but, uh, that sounds about right. But also a big part of that is Alabama shot 33 threes. And something that a lot of folks don't understand when they just go back and look at a box score is that if you're shooting more threes, you're not, you're not getting fouled. It is 43 to 8. That is correct. That, That's still pretty bad, though. That regardless of how, <laughs> Regardless of your style of play, even if you're shooting that many threes per game, you should not. It should not be that different. If the, that's the Auburn, difference. though, I'm upset. So I understand. That's not, yeah, I, I'm. I'm an Auburn. You know, I'm an Auburn guy. I'm upset by looking at that just for the fact that I like basketball a lot, and I want it to be a good, clean game in terms of just you don't you don't want to see eight attempts to forty three. Something isn't right there. That's tough. That's a really tough one. That I mean, that jumps off the page. You look at that, and that's just that's the difference in the game. You look at. 66 to 81. I mean, you balance those free throws out. This is a closer game. That's right. It's just how it is. And that's why I give a little bit of a nod to the fact yes, there was a big difference there. But was that the officials' fault or was that Alabama's fault? Was it that Alabama wasn't getting in the lane as much as they should have to try and draw fouls? You know, it's probably a little bit of both, but you would love to see that cleaned up a little bit in college basketball because sometimes it's just off the wall. And last night may have fallen a little bit into the category of off the wall, but we'll get to that later on. You know, I don't, you know, I I have no problem calling out the refs and not defending them. (laughs) I have no problem with it whatsoever. Going back to that conversation that we had with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer at about 2 30 today. Once again, go and find that wherever you get your podcast. The last question that I asked him was did Auburn did Auburn contact Tyler Shuck and he said they they did have at least some contact but he didn't know how much they pushed for him I'm not surprised 
to hear that Auburn contacted the guy because why wouldn't you you want quality depth and if Auburn could have all the good quarterbacks they would have all the good quarterbacks right I mean when Ohio State had Cardell Jones um, who else was on that roster there was, was Braxton Car- Miller and who's the one that I'm uh, leaving off right J- now JT Barrett that's right when they had all three of those quarterbacks on the same roster Ohio State was not upset that they had all three of those guys on the roster I mean you put they just moved Braxton Miller to receiver to get him on the field because he was a dynamic athlete I mean you want those guys you want as much talent as you can first game comes out something happens to Bo Nick you know knock on wood I hope I never wanted any injuries that happen to any athlete in this sport but something happens to him. Are you okay with trotting a freshman and Matrius Davis out there immediately? Yeah, I know you're not comfortable with Grant Lloyd going out there, and he's he's experienced, but you're not comfortable with it. You might as well have as much talent as you can on a roster in case something like that happens. And, of course, that's where this entire week and a half has gone with folks running with that and being like, well, Auburn's going to – Auburn might move away from Bo Nix, and I'm just not buying it. I think he's the best option at quarterback for Auburn going into next year, and it might just be better if everybody got behind that because Auburn could use some stability on offense. Now, I don't necessarily think stability when I think Bo Nix, but he is one of few guys coming back on that offensive side of the ball, and maybe a little bit of continuity at quarterback could do this offense going through a scheme change some good, but I don't think there's all bad with Bo Nix. I don't think there's all good with him either. He is still an above-average quarterback in college football. I don't, I don't think I would say he's a top-20 quarterback in college football. Of course, I'd have to sit down and rank a ton of people, but I've gone and seen pro football focus rank the guy you know, in the 30s and 40s, and I wouldn't be totally averse to that because there's a ton of quarterbacks out there that I think have performed better than Bo Nix. I just think he's an above-average quarterback when you're looking at the bell curve of quarterbacks in college football and maybe in an upcoming show we should create a bell curve of quarterbacks in the SEC and place Bo Nix in it and I think if we did he's in the B range of QBs I don't think he's in that A range he's probably in the lower portion of B range of quarterbacks but let's talk about what he does well and what he does poorly or maybe what he doesn't do well maybe he's not poor at it but maybe areas where we think he can improve and if those qualities are fixable, what do you think he does well? What he does well, I escapability. That, 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 that was what was coming. That was the first one I was coming. I was trying to think of something from the arm perspective, but if we're talking about bell curve of of escapability at the quarterback position in college football, he is a he is top tier. Yeah, I mean, it's and his I'll show you the film of him escaping <laughs> in the texas a&m game and scoring after pulling a sunshine from remember the titans and having somebody flip over his head that was like twice his size so I, again escapability is great that's a good one um i think one of the to counteract that i think one of the things he does quite poorly in my opinion his deep ball accuracy is incredibly lackluster like it, that needs to be improved upon but the arm strength's there i think the arm strength is there he's got the arm strength to make throws and he it's inconsistency is his biggest issue because he can make a lot of professional throws. He can throw outs. He can throw some deep ends. He can throw a lot of routes. And it's a- not that he has a cannon, and I was going to get to arm strength later. It's something that NFL scouts evaluate when they're looking at quarterbacks is the main thing that they're looking at with a quarterback is not can he run, not all of these other you know variables that we see, you know the Lamar Jackson of the world be able to achieve at a high level at the NFL, mainly because those guys are unicorns. What they are looking at is, can this guy effectively throw the football from the pocket and Bo Nix is struggling at that right now from a holistic sense but I think he possesses individual qualities 
that can help him succeed at that later on in his career and arm strength is one of those qualities not that he has a cannon and like a like not a Brett Favre cannon that can go 100 yards standing still right but I think he's got the ability to drive a throw into tight windows and once again I'm not necessarily talking about accuracy here either I'm talking about do you have the arm strength to make that back shoulder throw on the sideline to fit it into a window that it requires you to zip it into and I think if you go back and watch the 2019 Iron Bowl you remember that catch I I believe it was in the second quarter maybe I'm misremembering but do you remember that catch that Sal Canella made out on the edge of the end zone Toe touch swag, got his yeah, feet down. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yes, I know what that you're talking about. That is a perfect indicator of arm strength and being able to zip a ball into a location that only your receiver can get to it before a defensive back can be there. There are tight windows that you will have to make to win the big ones, to be able to win SEC championships, to be able to win a national championship. Your quarterback will be presented with opportunities where he has to make tight window throws and part of that is accuracy part of it is arm strength and I think he's got the arm strength it's the accuracy that I'm not so certain about at the moment yeah and to go off of what you said about the whole cannon thing he's not a Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes with a cannon but it's good enough he has the ability to throw the ball and you said it perfectly he has the ability to drive it and fit it into tight windows problem is he's not doing that consistent enough for NFL, or at least, you know, for... That's more of an accuracy thing for me once we get to that point. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of accuracy, and his decision-making has, hasn't has been the greatest at times. He's had accuracy problems. I remember I've seen him skip passes sometimes, which I know is nothing to do with his arm strength. He's got enough to get it there, but I've seen it skip, go low. I've seen it go high. I mean, we've, we've talked so many times about seeing Anthony Schwartz down the field around the four or five yard line and then seeing the ball go out of the back of the end zone when he's got to step on the defensive back. That's just something that he's not, it's just consistency for me with him that's not putting it together. He has all of these different tools that if he could put them all together at one time, he would be, be a great quarterback. It's just, I mean, when a you, grade on the bell curve, my when, man. When you're mobile like he is, has have you have that arm strength, you have the ability, because I know a lot of people who watch college football don't understand the importance of being able to throw a ball into a tight window like that. Like you said, the Sal Canelo one's a great example. Well, I'm putting the NFL scout hat on my head. To evaluate him, yeah. Right, and I've gone and watched videos of scouts talking about what they go and evaluate out of guys, and I love love looking at football from this lens and going and and hearing from people that actually do it for a living, people that actually are doing this. Of course, I'm a broadcaster, so I can tell people and talk to people. People have broadcast questions, hit me up, right? Like, I will be able to, to give you my experience in that, in that category. So I love going and seeking information from sources that have a lot of experience in it. And, you know, most recently I was watching in a it – it was an older video, but I was watching a video of a Philadelphia Eagles scout talking about – how they evaluate quarterbacks. It was on the Philadelphia Eagles NFL website. And they're, he's evaluating all of these qualities. And a big part of it, once again, is how well do they throw the ball out of the pocket. And that breaks down in many different categories. And we haven't seen Bo Nix throw the ball well from the pocket up to this point. He has been very subpar at that category. And, w- and we'll get to the things in just a second, what he doesn't do well. The last thing, though, that I want to say that he does well, I think he's got a lot of heart. Now, we've seen him get on his teammates some. At least that's what it appears from some of the broadcasts that we've watched 
on ESPN and whatnot and you see him getting on some guys on the sideline and maybe that's just a competitor in him I don't know but he plays to the very last whistle I don't think I've ever seen the guy give up on a ball game and I I appreciate seeing that out of my quarterback that he's got some heart out there when he's playing QB but now let's get to the things that maybe he doesn't do well and a lot of it's mechanical to me which is affecting his accuracy you can't have a quarterback that is below 60 percent completion percentage you're really not doing great if you're below 63 percent 64 percent I mean you're not I mean you need to be around that 70 percent range if you're looking at being a good quarterback if you're hitting that 60 range with the talent that Bo Nix has and that he possesses with his arm it sometimes some of that just comes from is it is it the fact that Auburn's scheme was bad guys weren't getting open enough to allow him to flourish in that was it the fact that he wasn't in the pocket whether that be his fault or whether it be the line's fault we've all, we've hit so I mean you everybody his pocket presence is not good it has not been good and leaves it too soon a lot of times other times it's collapsing on him but and that's and that's one of those things where we've yet to see what he can do if the line does hold up consistently because I always make that comparison with Sam Darnold in that Monday night game where he was seeing ghosts out there sometimes you see ghosts when you're so used to being under pressure at every given moment that sometimes you have to bail one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL Russell Wilson has had zero line protection almost his entire career and he almost always has to bail out sometimes a little too early the best part about that is uh russell wilson has one of the best deep balls you'll ever see bo nix doesn't possess that right now when you're conditioned to see pressure from a defense and abuse all game long from a defense you come to expect it on a gamely basis even when it's not there even when it's not there and that's why you see him boot out some you see him escape that pocket so many times at least in my opinion i think that's why you see that because he's so conditioned to to having that there he's conditioned to having to boot out and go see that all the time question to you here what is the average expectation from individuals out there for Auburn football I don't mean like what should Auburn average like you know I'm asking what is the general expectation from folks out there are you talking about from like a schedule perspective like wins and losses this year are you talking about from what, what, should, what, what do most folks want to see Auburn competing for every year national championships exactly and what does it take to win a national championship uh, you have you either have to have a generation like a, just a quarterback who can light it up you know a guy who's consistent and not turn the ball over and you have to have a good defense I think it's a given that you need a, a great offensive line I mean that's for sure yeah. good to great quarterback Alabama's proven that just a good quarterback that makes the right decisions can get them there because they've had excellent skill position players around him. but I think you need a good to great quarterback and borderline in, t- in today's age when you've got quarterbacks at Alabama Clemson and Ohio State that are now no longer just good they are great I think you do need a great quarterback nowadays and then you need a great defense you need those three things if you have those three things you're going to be in the national championship picture unless you are absolutely abysmal everywhere else but I have a feeling you're not going to be absolutely abysmal everywhere else if you've been able to accrue both of those or all three of those things the defense thing can be skipped if you have just an amazing offense look at Alabama LSU the past few years defenses were lacking but the offense still had good defenses though. yeah they, they, they weren't they weren't terrible but they weren't this elite that we used to have to see to yeah, get I mean, there they can give up 22 a game but they can, but when they you can have, score 45 when you have the offenses that those two teams had and you have a you know generational yeah. talent in joe burrow number one pick in the nfl draft you have a guy mac jones who's probably going to be a i would assume a first round pick this year as well you need a good competent quarterback that's that's a given a good competent quarterback in a line those are just things that you have to have to compete for championships We've seen it. We've seen you go through, go through and look at every single national champion 
in the past 10, 10 years if you really want to, and you will find good, competent quarterbacks, good line, and above-average defense. So I say all that because Auburn folks want to see Auburn winning a national championship, as you've just said. And we've just established that it takes a great quarterback to do that. And great quarterbacks are typically going to be in the running to make it at the next level. And so I go back to where we began this segment. you got to put on your NFL quarterback evaluator hat to, to evaluate Bo Nix and critically look at him and say, all right, what is this guy doing well right now? What is he not doing well? Because if Auburn's going to take the next step and make it, into a college football playoff, they're going to have have to have a great quarterback. So I think it is important to critically evaluate Bo Nix right now and say, what is he doing really well? What is he doing not so well at the moment? And we've established things that he does well. He's got pretty good arm strength. He's got a good he's got a good effort that he puts into every single play. And then he's got top notch escapability. Those are great things. Right now, what he's not doing well mechanically, he's not doing a lot of good things mechanically, whether it be footwork, whether it be uh, general pocket awareness whether it be he's throwing off his off his back foot there are those things right there that are affecting his overall accuracy in terms of throwing out of the pocket and that's something that's going to have to take he's going to need about an eight percent difference there I think at completion percentage alone if Auburn's going to be having any type of shot at winning an SEC championship and that's not a big overstep in me saying that because the guy is 59 percent across his career he's 59 percent that's horrible I'm, especially at the collegiate yeah. level that is horrible I'm, he's gonna have to get up to about 67 percent in terms of accuracy for Auburn to be competing for anything so my question to you is is that fixable I think so and I think you have the right guy to fix it is I, it attainable to get to 67 percent I think so I really think it is I think that with Mike Bobo I think he's going to get the most out of Bo Nix and I think Brian Harson's going to push him as well I think this I think the coaching staff he has around him you got to think, this guy has not had the same offensive coordinator. This is his third one. In three years, this is his third one. I think sometimes you have to see that perfect marriage of offensive coordinator and quarterback. I think Baker Mayfield in the pros looked, a lot, looked so much better this year than he has throughout his career simply for the fact that he got a guy that he could work with. I think Mike Bobo has the history. I think he's going to get a lot out of Bo Nix, and I think he's going to improve this year a lot. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPN au.com Auburn basketball no secret Tigers lost Sharif Cooper and 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 by the way real quick I want to say thank you to you and intern Sting for holding down the four yesterday I appreciate it my man y'all did a really great job and I bring that up because I heard y'all talking about some basketball yesterday without Sharif Cooper well I appreciate that a little disappointed I didn't get to talk any mass dancer like I was going to I was just <laughs> going to throw out two hours of mass dancer well, for I'm the glad people. you didn't do that well, I thought about it, but, you know, I didn't. We had a good time. It was a great time, and glad to have you back, though. It's always good when you're in the studio and we get to sit here and just cut it up in the studio. It's a lot more fun that way. So, Auburn basketball losing Sharif Cooper, and they get stopped by Florida. Big shocker when you find out that Sharif ain't playing. And I heard some from some folks that he might be in a boot before the game, and I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, ah, maybe it's just a rumor. But typically when you hear that, where there's smoke, there's fire. Yep. And then, bang, Auburn gets stopped by Florida. But not a terrible defensive effort, but Florida still scored about 
around their season average. So still, I don't think it was a good defensive performance and offense, just abysmal. But what we've come to expect when Sharif Cooper's not on the floor, and typically that's only about eight eight minutes a game, seven, eight minutes a game. Well, they had to go 40 minutes without Sharif Cooper, and you see what that looks like, a 57-point performance. Still better than what Tennessee could do against Ole Miss. They only scored 50. Yeah, when, so When I looked and saw that Sharif wasn't playing, I knew what was about to happen. And I, I hit on this yesterday. I had a lot of people thinking that, it was an arm injury because they the first clip they showed of him on the broadcast apparently was you could see his back strap across from him and everybody was like, oh, he's in a sling. And they were really worried. And then he adjusted just a fraction of a bit and you saw his it was his bag and clearly not a sling. It was an ankle injury. But yeah, you uh, this year when you've seen no Justin Powell and you've seen no Shreve Cooper, this team has not been good. It's been a very, very bad basketball team. As one would expect. I think they were bad even when Justin Powell was the lone ball handler oh, they, out there. They were, but you you truly see what happens when you have absolutely no guard. And, I mean, Justin Justin Powell is not a point guard. He's a true two. He's a shooting guard through and through. He, you don't want him as your primary ball handler. doesn't mean that he can't handle the ball. You just don't want him as your point guard. I think he's fine being the point guard when Sharif has to take time on the bench. That's fine. That's serviceable. But like you said, that's not exactly who you want as your number one either. Once again, that's not a knock on Justin Powell. He's a very good basketball player, and he's going to continue to develop into a very good basketball player. It's just he, too, was out of position like many other Auburn players. Alan Flanagan? I mean, you think of... Good gracious. You think of two people who have had to... Poor Alan Flanagan, who has he had, had to, seven turnovers the other night. I, I try to just look at his stats and just wash anything when he has to play point guard like that because it's not fair to him. That is not his. Bruce Pearl said it best. He's one of the top 10 to 15 players in this league when he's off the ball, not playing point guard. And it's sad that yeah. he has to do this. Well, he had one of his worst games against Florida. Six points. He was 0 for 6 from the field. All of his points came at the free throw line, which is great to see. And I, and I can't remember who I saw tweet this. Maybe it was Justin Ferguson. It's good to see the development occur for Auburn where a guy who really wasn't a good free throw shooter last year like Alan Flanagan ended up becoming a great free throw shooter this year. Six for six from the free throw line in that game against Florida. So that was where he got all of his points, but still seven turnovers by far. When you only come away with six points, you didn't hit a shot from the field and you had seven turnovers. You had your worst game of the season, probably. At least I hope that was your worst game of the season because uh, I would be kind of, I would be amazed by what your worst game of your I, season was if that one wasn't. I would like to think that's the worst. Just off the top of the head, I mean, I could go through and look. I'm, pr- I'd say about ninety nine point nine percent sure that was his worst game of the season, and really not too much his fault. I can't harp on that enough. That I just, I feel bad for him He's to out be of put, position. For him to be put in that position, you're not, you're just not being put in a position to succeed, and. That's the issue with a lot of this Auburn team. They've had so many gut punches, as again, Bruce Pearl said, over and over again. They're having to play without guards. They're have you know, Sharif Cooper missed the first games. He missed some I, games with injury. Justin Powell gets hurt. You miss him. So I still stand by this Auburn team takes entirely too many threes. And, you know, of course there's people out there on social media who come out of the woodworks and complain or get after folks when they start talking about shot selection but you're like well you'd be happy if they were all going down it's like that's well, the, here's the thing that's they're the not dropping <laughs> that's the issue they're not a lot of this team they're not good at shooting those threes that's why we don't want them to shoot so much 
And it's just like a turnover to me, in addition to the 21 turnovers already already Auburn had through the run of play. Auburn shot 31 threes, only made seven of them. That's 22.6%. That's not good enough. You don't need to be shooting that many threes when you were 11 for 20 on twos. You're one of the best two-point percentage teams in the entire conference, in the entire country, and you won't play in the paint and a perfect and a perfect example of that is why in the world does Jalen Williams shoot seven threes against Florida and only make one what are you doing and he's he's very polished down low I don't understand that either another uh another gripe that people come out of the woodwork to say is well well, we went to the Final Four by shooting a lot of threes. Like, yeah, because that team could shoot threes. You had people who could pull up and shoot from range. You had this Bryce Brown. Is you had Jared Harper. Samir could hit threes. You had Chumo Kiki hitting threes. Malik Dunbar was Malik money. Dunbar was playing. Those guys could make the three shot. A lot of these guys. Anthony Mclemore. The list goes on. They bit, could all hit it with at least about a uh, at least a thirty-two percent efficacy. And this, this team team's just, not doing that. This team just doesn't have it, and it's playing to your identity. This team should be playing inside-out basketball. It should be playing inside first, looking at the three second. That that they're would also play. not a half bad free throw shooting team either. They didn't you do great draw, against yeah. Florida, but they're not a half bad free throw shooting team, and they can work some teams at the free throw line if they get there so i i'm very underwhelmed with auburn's shot selection switching gears here though to this tennessee game is this season salvageable if sharif cooper misses another game i mean I, even I, if he doesn't miss another game is this season still well, salvageable justin, justin ferguson said he thought he was going to play i was i mean i trust him a lot more than my gut feeling that i thought he was just going to sit the rest out you know ferguson well, i was lot. terrified that this was a potential opt-out situation yeah well that's i kind of felt where it's like, have we seen Sharif Cooper play his last that's, game of basketball? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. If he doesn't come back, I I just don't think I you're I don't think you're beating Alabama on the road if Sharif isn't there. Tennessee, I don't think you're beating Alabama on the road. Period. Alabama is mean, probably either. I don't licking either, but its you, chops right now about going and draining 150 on this Auburn defense. You at least have a chance if Sharif Cooper plays. I don't think there is any chance if he doesn't. Tennessee. I feel better simply for the fact that we've seen Tennessee show up sometimes and just not want to play good basketball. That's the only thing. But I still don't, I don't think know they if win. it's a want to there. I think they're just inept sometimes on yeah. the offensive end of the floor. So that brings me to this, though, talking about Saturday's game and saying, can, can you salvage the season? think about how bad Auburn's defense is. <laughs> I think if you beat another one of these top 25 teams on your schedule, you probably salvage your season looking at all the circumstances. Yeah. If Auburn is going to win another game this year, they're going to have to do it with defense. I think you're looking at a magic number now for Auburn basketball, set at about 70, maybe a little bit lower than that, and Auburn's going to have to hold their opponent to that number or less because I, I think Auburn's going to have a hard time against any of the teams moving on Alabama's one of the most efficient teams on the defensive end of the floor according to KimPom.com Tennessee's one of the best defensive teams in the country as well Tennessee right now number three in adjusted defensive efficiency Alabama at number four you're going to have to hold these teams down because you ain't scoring and you don't have great ball ball handlers either so good luck yeah good luck with that one I don't think that's going to happen on the other side of this break, we talk to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. He'll be joining us on the line back in just a moment. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at, at @RadioALSports. It's the place to be for Auburn and Alabama content as well as high school sports content. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. And as promised, joining us on the line, we got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. My man, how you doing today? What's going on, guys? How are y'all doing? We're doing great. And uh, our respective schools that we call basketball games for, they're balling out in the Final Four, my man. We got a little reunion here. Silicaga, boys basketball making it to the Final Four. And then on my end, Auburn High, both the girls and the boys, uh, for the first time ever in school history, making it to the Final Four. Man, what a feeling that's got to be for you. Yeah, you know, it, it is a great feeling. And our guys have played well at Silicaga, and they deserve it kind of a bummer that we're not allowed to call the uh the state final but we'll be uh sitting there as media members and uh, hoping our guys win let's switch gears now to some alabama basketball which is what we've got you on the show today to talk to us about alabama losing last night 81 to 66 to a ranked arkansas team that is trending upward they've been climbing the poles every week now it seems and Arkansas now with a better record than Alabama at the moment at 18 and 5 overall Alabama at 18 and 6 obviously not the same in conference play Alabama's going to have to wait one more game to be able to clinch the conference title game if they win one more they've got it if they lose out well then they'll end up sharing with either LSU or Arkansas what was your major takeaway about last night uh well it was ugly uh I know refereeing wasn't um spectacular um free throw discrepancy between the two teams has you scratching your head a little bit but I think at the end of the day you look at field goal percentage not just three-point percentage and Alabama shot sub 38 percent from the field overall I mean that's with that's from six inches away from the goal and out so and you're not going to win many games where you shoot 37 percent from the field and the other team shoots nearly 50 at 46.3 percent and expect to win. I thought Alabama came out with a little bit of a lack of energy, which uh, I think uh, Alabama fans are kind of becoming accustomed to seeing. Accustomed to seeing over the last, you know, seven or eight basketball games. You, the last three ranked teams you played have been on the road, and I think Alabama has lost all of those, and that's including last night in Oklahoma and also Missouri. Um, Alabama's been beating the heck out of teams that barely have a pulse and then playing teams that barely have a pulse closely and winning. But the last three good teams that these guys have played, they've uh, they've dropped all three of them. And I just feel like so many of the Alabama fan base, they look at how Alabama played over the first 11 games in SEC play or so, and they're like... And then uh, the other half of the Alabama fan base is saying, Maybe that was an anomaly of how this team is playing because they're. I don't care. I don't know what everybody's looking at. Yeah, they're great defensively, but if this team's not just knocking down the three ball, they they're above average. Don't get me wrong. They're not. They're not an average basketball team. But when they're just not knocking down the three ball, they. I think there is a steep drop off for this team when they're not lights out shooting. I don't know. Do you guys see the same thing? I mean, I agree with that a hundred percent. I mean, it it we've said it before this is a team that seems to live and die by the three at times and I want to kind of go into something you said it was ugly last night it, it was it looked ugly was there anything positive to draw from this game if you're an Alabama fan I think first half Jordan Bruner looking very healthy is could be a key down the stretch he didn't get all the looks that he got in the first half and the second half but 
I just think frustration began to set in for Alabama. And, you know, John Petty gets ejected. And I know a lot of people will say, well, he should, because other the announcers last night were saying he should keep his mouth shut and just leave the floor. But when the other team shoots 50 free throws and you shoot eight, um, I don't know if you guys play high school ball or any type of high school basketball or high-level basketball, but that's frustrating knowing that you lost by 15. And I still don't think Alabama deserved to win the game. But when you, when you lose by 15 and there is a well, I think it was a 40 free throw discrepancy between these two. I think it was 48 to 8. And um, that's just frustrating when you're John Petty and you know you're getting hit down low and you're not getting a whistle and Arkansas gets with the basketball close enough to an Alabama defender and the whistle comes out and it sends them to the free throw line. I think that's very frustrating for Alabama. The, the good is the other team shot 50 free throws. You shot 8. You only lost by 15 on the road. I think if Alabama... I think if a if Alabama was playing a average team last night, they may still could have won that game. But Arkansas, as Noah mentioned, coming in is still a pretty good basketball team. They've climbed up the rankings. They're only they're eighteen and five guys. It isn't like Arkansas is a bad team. But for Alabama, I know you I know you're you're a you're great on defense. I mean they are they are really good on defense. Maybe better than we've seen Alabama defensively in basketball in the last twenty years. But you still got to wonder if you're only going to shoot 37.7% from the field. It really doesn't matter how great you are on defense. You've got to find a way to shoot. There's no, there's really no excuse to not shoot 40% from the field. I think you guys would agree with that too. Southampton's going to have to go back to the drawing board. They're going to have to find a way to get some easier shots, not all the fallaway threes, because when those fallaway threes aren't hitting, Alabama goes from a national title contender to a round of 32 team. In terms of the SEC tournament that's looming on the horizon, of course, when this Alabama team is playing at their best, they look like a one seed. But when, no as, as you've already put it, though, when they're not playing at their best, which centers around their jump shot and the three-point line, when they're not playing at their best, as you just put it, they're around a 32 team in the NCAA tournament, which is still a first weekend and, and getting bounced out of the first weekend when you're the sixth-ranked team in the country, that would be considered an underachievement by Alabama in your gut right now, does this Alabama team win the SEC tournament? I just think you play – there's just too many good teams down the stretch in the tournament to say that the way that Alabama's played over the last eight games is a lot to win the SEC tournament, no matter if they win the SEC regular season tournament – I mean, regular season championship. I think they can. Do they? Uh, I don't think – you know, Missouri's on the skid. Tennessee's playing well. Arkansas's probably playing the best in conference right now. I think Alabama's got a, just as good a chance to win it as everybody, especially if they're hitting shots. But right now, I mean, there's a few other teams that you could throw into the mix. And you can also say, looking back, Alabama beats Vanderbilt by four at home. They're, they're squeaking by South Carolina, who's not a very good team in the last couple of weeks. So you could also easily say that Alabama could drop a game to a team that they, they shouldn't drop a game to. Moving forward now, talking on the Alabama football side of things. Some new coaches are coming in. What do you think about the latest guys brought in to this coaching staff, namely at defensive backs? Yeah, I still haven't learned how to pronounce uh, Jay's last name, Valai, Valai. Um, I think I just think that's going to be a good recruiting hire. I think Nick Saban, I think in, as you've seen, now Carl Scott's a great defensive backs coach. Don't get me wrong great corners coach but Nick Saban likes to specialize in that a little bit so you can maybe coach a coach up through Nick Saban and just as long as you have a great recruiter at that position I I think you're good to go I think Alabama did a great job replacing this staff all the all the way from OC to running backs coach to safety I mean to the corners 
the special teams. And I think I think Nick Saban, it, it looked grim when everybody left. And I think he did a very good job at uh, at replacing those guys, getting some veteran minds in there, some young recruiters in there, um, the offensive line coach. I mean, the, the whole nine yards, I, I think that the staff and the system is going to look pretty similar. I don't think Alabama fans are as nearly as worried as they were a couple of years ago when everybody left and then you were replacing people with like Brian Dable. You didn't know what was happening. You have some veteran coaches on the staff where I think you can take a deep breath, go into next season, and, and at least you can um, have some comfort as you open up next year and then get into SEC play where we know it's always tough. When you're putting in almost a brand-new coaching staff, what major changes, if any, do you expect there to be next year? Well, offensively, I don't really think there's that. that I, mean, I mean, yeah, you're going to have some new schemes, but, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, that playbook had a uh, – crimson and white a on it so it that playbook didn't leave tuscaloosa it's still sitting there on the shelf you can take some of the best things out of that mix it up with what what you want to do with it and and then you got to realize the houston texans last year got I me mean, there the houston texans under, with Deshaun watson and, and that whole crew they were still one of the top offenses in the league year in and year out and you know you can say you know they weren't great but alabama's alabama's offense i think is still going to continue to hum especially with the amount of talent they have i mean you have bryce young some of the best receivers in, in high school football coming in you have some key parts on the offensive line coming back although you lost a lot on the offensive line when you consider dickerson and leatherwood going but you bring back neil owens um you still have some guys that can really play on offense defensively the team's the same pete golding's there nick saban's there i think you're going to see an improved defense with a lot of guys coming back on, on the defensive side of the ball but offensively i think alabama now the numbers probably should not be expected to be as great as they were last year because i think steve sarkeesian did stuff that nobody's ever done and set ncaa records but uh, i think they'll still be pretty good jeremy i appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today where can everybody find you on the Twitterverse. Oh, at IMJ underscore long Twitter. Give me a follow. Um, and if you hate it, which you probably will, it's not that hard to unfollow. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, I appreciate it, my man. I hope uh, I hope you enjoy baseball season that's coming up for you on the Aggie Sports Network for Silicaga Boys Baseball, or, or just Silicaga Baseball, I guess, obviously. And then Silicaga Boys Basketball playing in the Final Four. Congrats, my man. See you guys. That was Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on the line with us. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll be wrapping up the show here. Only about 10 minutes left with us here on your Thursday afternoon. Stay with us on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up the show here on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We just had Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on the line with us. Big thank you to him. If you missed any of that conversation, go and find it on the podcast wherever you get your podcast. The Drive with Bill Cameron will be following Gus 
as it does every day from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Listen to The Drive with Bill Cameron every weekday from 4 to 6, following on the line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Bill and Dan, take your calls, diving into all of the latest and hottest stories in Auburn Athletics and beyond, once again, from 4 to 6 p.m., The Drive with Bill Cameron. They'll be coming up in about 12 minutes. Before we wrap up the second hour of our show today, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Sitcom lineup on CBS with all new episodes of Young Sheldon, Be Positive, Mom, and the Unicorn beginning at 7. It's still the round of 32 also and BattleBots on Discovery at 7. Movie selection for tonight, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is on BBC at 7 as well. Thursday, college basketball begins on the West Coast with the top team of the country. Number one, Gonzaga hosting Santa Clara at 6 on CBS Sports Network. We've got a top 10 matchup in the Big Ten with number 9, Iowa at number three, Michigan on ESPN. On ESPN2, we've got number 12, Houston, at home against Western Kentucky on Big Ten Network. Number five, Illinois, hosts Nebraska at the 8 p.m. time slot. Number four, Ohio State, must go on the road at Michigan State on ESPN. On ESPN2, it doesn't get much easier for number 19, USC, as they're on the road against Colorado. NBA on TNT, starting with the Mavericks at the 76ers on at 6. At 8.30, the Pelicans and the Bucks square off. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. South Carolina basketball placed on probation today by the NCAA for one of their former assistants, Lamont Evans' involvement in that corruption scandal in college basketball. And I think this is possibly a good sign for Auburn. I I try not to get my hopes up for the NCAA to have any type of consistency in any decisions that they make. But South Carolina placed on a two-year probation the NCAA also accepting South Carolina's self-imposed penalties that they placed on themselves as enough, which includes a reduction of unofficial visits from prospects for this season and the next one, and a six-week ban on telephone recruiting alongside a $5,000 fine, which is nothing. And so really what this is, is in terms of probation, if people wonder, well, what is probation? It is just the NCAA is keeping an eye on you. Don't, you got to fill out a lot of paperwork, I'm sure. Don't mess up again. That's what it is. It's like, hey, it's probably a lot of paperwork. Don't get don't get caught doing whatever you were doing again. Be good. At least in this time period, don't. You're, yeah, you're pretty much you're. You said it best. They got a they got an eye on you. They're watching you carefully now. Well, I think you have to fill out a ton of and I and I haven't gone into a lot of detail in this, but I think a lot of it's just like you have to fill out a ton of like compliance and you have to make sure that you're in you know i mean i'm sure it's like if you had a probation officer you know like you're in a, you're in direct communication with them a lot making sure that you're in compliance with ncaa rules and whatnot so that's kind of the situation for south carolina but i want to equate this to Auburn because lamont evans was one of the major names out there mainly he was connected with oklahoma state but he was doing some of his deeds while he was at south carolina as well chuck person obviously was a big name in the case and Chuck Person uh I I think when looking at numbers here because uh, I believe on the story that I'm looking at right now on ESPN.com the number mentioned for the number mentioned for Lamont Evans sits at like 3,300 I think Uh, I think no I think 22,000 is what I'm looking at right here for Lamont Evans in the ESPN story that I'm reading yes yes yeah apparently yeah in the ESPN story it says he pleaded guilty to bribery conspiracy for taking some $22,000 um about you know steering basketball products and all the or basketball prospects and and trying to you know get guys to agents and whatnot and the chump person was in a similar 
situation. I think I saw somewhere like 90,000 or something like that for uh, was around where Chuck Person was at uh, in his situation. So a little bit, a little bit, maybe a little bit more high profile, but Chuck Person didn't even get prison time. None. The, the judge was basically like, look, like this is, you know, it, basically finding no grounds for prison time saying that it wouldn't do any good in the, in this situation that, um, you know, I, it just, it wasn't an extreme case there. Obviously that has no, that has no connection whatsoever to what the NCAA can do to any of these teams. But my whole stance on this situation with Auburn basketball up to this point, and we don't know, like a team does not have to say that there is a notice of allegations inside a program. They don't have to say that. They don't have to make that information public. So we don't know if Auburn has one of those or not because they haven't said that. But let's say that, you know, the NCAA is going to be handing out decisions to other teams throughout college basketball. If the NCAA had any type of consistency, this probably rings pretty good for Auburn considering Auburn didn't really benefit from anything Chuck Person did. Yeah, I mean, I Chuck agree Person with that. benefited from it. Nobody it, else. It was just Chuck Person, and it wasn't Auburn. But it wasn't trying to get guys to come to Auburn. Yeah, it was to try to get them to go to a certain way when they all that money were out. paid back. Those guys that were in that involvement, Austin Wiley and Dan Purifoy, sat out for a ton oh, wow. of time. Yeah, more I, than two. I just don't. I don't have faith that the NCAA is consistent, but you're hoping. I'm hoping that you're from, hoping just from an Auburn perspective. I'm hoping that they're consistent because I think this bodes well for Auburn. Like you said, problem is I don't have faith in the NCAA. I mean, you had Sharif Cooper sitting at the beginning of the year for their reasons that could have easily been resolved within, you know, before the season. It's not like it was It's not like they were just like, oh, one day they woke up and said, wait, Sharif Cooper is at Auburn. Um no, 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 he can't play. Let, let's figure this out. You had an entire time. You knew he was going to Auburn. You could have figured out what you need to figure out with that beforehand. I just don't have faith that the NCAA is going to keep consistent. I haven't seen them be consistent in my lifetime with bands and stuff like that. So, fingers crossed. Hoping it works that way for Auburn basketball. This, If they are consistent, this does look good for Auburn basketball as of right now south carolina didn't even take a postseason ban auburn put a postseason ban. yeah they've already i mean we already have a ban in place i mean i think that that's probably enough that they could sit there and say you know what they have already been hit sat out a year that totally affected the outcome of this season i think there would have been a whole lot more engagement sure all season long yeah i mean it's it's hard to keep guys engaged when you're not playing for anything at the end of the year sharif cooper even sat out half a season totally unrelated but still you miss your best player for a whole year on top of that those guys in the past austin wiley and danger purifoy they sat out more than their due like a year total i think you know a basketball that they miss maybe even a little bit more than that and then there, there's just it's been something that's lingered on the program and it and it's not auburn didn't even directly benefit from it auburn didn't benefit from it yeah. at least from what it looks like they didn't i mean once again we don't know anything about a notice of allegations like it, it auburn could have benefited from it. we're not saying that it they didn't. We're just saying it looks like what at, we from know, what we know, they did not benefit from it. Now, from of course, what we know. of course, like teams like Louisville have made their notice of allegations public, and Louisville's in hot water, boiling. It's on fire because of what happened with Patino, and so you hope that like Auburn or other teams in college basketball aren't caught up in it to that degree because that could be bad. But from what we know on everything about it, like if this is just about Chuck Person, if that's all this is about. Auburn didn't benefit from that whatsoever. Yeah, they didn't. And if, as far as we know, they didn't benefit from it whatsoever. And that holds well. I mean, again, they've had so many people sit out already. You know, we had the Wiley, the Daniel Purifoy sit out. We had a postseason ban this year. 
it seems like Auburn has 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 had their punishment for this at also, least from the outside looking in. Also, in the final four run, look, I think it's punishment enough what the referees did to Auburn oh, in the final four. That's, Come on, that, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That Come on, I would add that to the punishment. Yeah, I would that's add an that NCAA to ref right there. Wasn't punishment, but it feels like it. it it's it's still punishment. You know, it's. Mm, defending champions, you know, defending national champions, the Virginia like five Cavaliers. Five seconds are. away, right there, of seeing Auburn basketball play in a national championship. That's something that will stick with me for a for maybe my entire life. If Auburn doesn't win a national championship in basketball, that will stick with me for my entire life. I was there. It hurt. It hurts. You were there. It Forgot hurts. You were at the Final Four. Levi, it's a good show today, my man. We'll be back tomorrow Ooh. here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. The Drive with Bill Cameron follows us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. You know where to find us.